I wanted to share with you concerning discouragement. I don't have to describe to most of you what discouragement is. But I will tell you that this season of the year, I hope you'll hear me now, this season of the year is one of the greatest times of discouragement. And especially during the full moon time. Right now, the nurses will tell you that at most hospitals, it's just a zoo. People are jumping off buildings, shooting themselves, cutting their wrists, all these things of discouragement and despondency. Right at Christmas time, because they want to be able to have things, and they don't have things, and they don't want to break the law, and problems come on them, and physical needs, and when they're supposed to be happy, they're not. And so they, it's just a time of tremendous turmoil for them. Now, of course, there are different degrees and different grades of discouragement. There's what you can call a mild discouragement. That's just your minor nitpicking problems that continuously peck away at you in everyday life. You get up in the morning and, and the coffee pot falls off on the floor and the, uh, the toaster burns the uh, toast and just about time you get the eggs ready, somebody knocks at the door and you go to the door and come back and your eggs are, are hard and crisp. Little things after a while, you just begin to think, is this what kind of a day it's going to be when those pressures begin to build up? They just affect your emotions. Little mild discouragement just affect your emotions. Then your stronger discouragement is when major pressures or major problems come along that begin to affect your spirit. And you begin to get down in your spirit and others begin to notice there's something that's wrong. And many times if you aren't free to share with them, they'll begin to think, what did I say or what did I do to... To hurt my friend, you know, that's, that's more of your stronger type of discouragement. And then there's the disabling type of discouragement. Now, if you've never gone through that, it's, it's hard to understand it. But let me tell you, I've gone through some disabling discouragement in my life. It's where you come to the place where it, it just drains you uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. Like I, I showed on the complete man. It's something that makes you lose all energy and all drive and all will to go on or desire to go on. In fact, all ability to go on. You just give up. What is the use? You say, my heart just melts within me. I just haven't got anything left to fight back with. That's, that's disabling discouragement. and It's a horrible thing to have happen to a person. And that's when they desperately need the prayers of other Christians when they come into that type of an experience. I went through it for some time in Minnesota one time and finally went to a meeting after the Billy Graham's Congress on Evangelism, went to an evangelist meeting, and after that meeting I sat in that room and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for 45 minutes. I could hardly get my breath. I was crying so hard. And all that discouragement just left me. I believe that I received deliverance right then and didn't even know what it was, but I had been asking God to do something in my heart or I couldn't go on. And he did so. But it's a horrible thing when you come to a disabling discouragement in your life. Let me just first of all say that in the life of a believer, basically every discouragement comes from believing a lie from Satan. The cause of discouragement is believing a lie from Satan. Most discouragement comes from fear, unbelief, bitterness, self-pity, or condemnation. Let me say that again. Most discouragement comes from fear. You begin to fear something. You dread. You just anticipate all sorts of bad, evil things coming against you. Unbelief. There's just no way out of this. It's just absolutely hopeless. There, I, I, this is the end. Bitterness. 
what is the use? I've tried. It's just no use in trying anymore. It's just might as well forget it, the whole thing. Self-pity. That comes in. And then condemnation. Boy, I am so worthless. I don't even know why I'm called a Christian, so on and so forth. You know, it can be a devastating thing when discouragement comes. It can destroy all your ability and all your desire to do what God wants you to do. I want to give you an example of that found in Deuteronomy, the first chapter. Deuteronomy, the first chapter. You see, God had told the children of Israel to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy, the first chapter, verse 28. When Moses was talking about what had happened, when God told them to go into the promised land, they, they made this statement, Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. Cities, the cities are great, have great walls, cities up to heaven, and uh, there are giants in the land. He says, you were going to go into the promised land until your brethren came over and they discouraged you. They brought you to the place of hopelessness. What is the use? We couldn't possibly win in the promised land. And really, they believed what they saw instead of what God said. That was discouragement. They believed a lie. Now, it wasn't a lie that there were giants in the land and that, the walled, that they had walled cities. That wasn't a lie. The lie was they disbelieved God. God had said in Genesis 12, 7, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. You know, I said some time ago that what happened, they got grasshopper spirits. They said, we look like grasshoppers next to those people. They'll just come along and just step on us, and that'll be the end of it. Discouragement through fear. Disbelief. Not believing what God said. It started in the Garden of Eden. Did God say that God has said you can't eat of any of the fruit of any of these trees. That wasn't what God said. He said, just this one tree. The end result was they were put out of the garden, and I understand that possibly some months later when they were put out of the garden, Adam was taking his uh, two sons, Cain and Abel, past the gate of, of the Garden of Eden, and the angel was standing there with a sword guarding the gate of the Garden of Eden. And he said, sons, I just want you to know that's the place where your mother ate us out of house and home. Deuteronomy 1, oh, it'll come through pretty soon. Deuteronomy 1.21, Moses said, Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee, go up to and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Deuteronomy 1.21. That was the promise to them. God said it's yours, go up and possess it. Neither be discouraged. That word discouraged there means don't be broken down, don't be cast down. But instead, they believed Satan's lie and discouragement entered in. They said, well, we can't go in there, those walled cities and those giants in there. Another illustration is in Numbers, the 21st chapter. Look with me there again to see that it's when they begin to believe a lie. Numbers, the 21st chapter in the fourth verse. Now, this is talking about when the children of Israel had just destroyed the Canaanites. They had just had a victory in destroying the Canaanites. And then they began to proceed to go around the nation of Edom. God told them to go around the nation and not through the nation of Edom. And it said that it was a hard way. All right? And uh, I imagine the hard way meant it was very uh, they were very tired and it was very hot and they were weary from fighting the Canaanites. And let me tell you something, you want to see when discouragement comes in, it's usually when you're extremely tired. You begin to let down, you begin to give up when you're tired. And so the most religious things we, thing we can do when we're tired many times is go to bed. 
I believe that. Not drive, drive, drive ourselves until we can't go any further, but just rest and then come back and we'll see things in a different light. Verse 4 says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Verse 5 tells us the result of that discouragement. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this life light bread. That's where the scripture talks about them murmuring. And in the New Testament it tells us, don't you murmur like they did in the Old Testament, or God will have to judge you just like he judged them. And the end result was that God had to send serpents in amongst them and bit them, and many of them died, and Moses had to put a brazen serpent up on a pole. But they became discouraged because they began to believe a lie. You see, they really did have bread. God was sending them bread from heaven every day. They did have water just in that same chapter. The Lord had just provided water for them. He told Moses to speak to the rock, and Moses smote the rock twice, but the water gushed forth, and they had water. So they were believing a lie. Here they had just finished having a very refreshing drink before they went on that trip. And they said, we don't have any water. We don't have any bread. Boy, I'm getting sick and tired of this whole mess. Boy, I thought when I followed after God, he was going to just pave the road for me and have a, 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 a what do they call those, rest, rest area every few miles down the road. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be for Christians. They got tired and they got discouraged. And then they began to complain and murmur and God had to judge them for it. Now, the root cause of discouragement, the root cause of discouragement is putting down our shield of faith. Putting down our shield of faith. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, talks about the armor that God wants us to put on as believers. Discouragement usually comes when the believer puts down his shield of faith and loses sight of God's way and of our resources in Jesus Christ. We begin to take our eyes off of the Lord. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the Word of God says. And when we cease to do that and begin to look at the waves instead of the Lord, the same thing happens to us as happened to Peter when he was walking on the water. And this removes, when we drop our shield of faith, that removes our spiritual protection. There are some benefits to discouragement, by the way, whether you know it or not. Tremendous benefits from discouragement. And so when you see a Christian that's discouraged, understand that God is working something out in their lives. First thing it does when, I, when you get discouraged is it begins to confirm to you the fact of how much you need, really need God in your life. I can't do it, Lord. I just, I'm to the end of my rope. First thing it'll do is destroy your pleasure and in your enjoyment in, and I should say, confidence. Destroy your confidence and delight in temporal things. Let me show you some scripture on that. Philippians, the third chapter, verses 7 through 11. It will destroy your delight in temporal things. Discouragement will. Verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul says all these things that I counted valuable, the Lord just took them all away from me. And now that he's done it, I look back and say that's just a bunch of dumb. It's not any value whatsoever. You had to go through some tremendous persecutions. Paul describes time and time again the things he had to go through. It wasn't an easy road for him. But he looks back and gave God thanks for it because through it he learned the true value of life. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Secondly, it'll destroy your confidence in human effort. Discouragement will, the end result will be to destroy your confidence in human effort. Look at Philippians, the third chapter. Verses one through three. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He said, look out for all these other people around you. And the scripture says that Jesus, knowing the heart of man, that it was very fickle. He had no confidence in the arm of flesh. And when God takes you through, I said to someone the other day, they were talking about every time they tried to get something going, seemed to fall down. I said, every time you lean, I, I called him, I called not them, but I said, you represent many times a crutch Christian. And God is set on destroying all crutch Christians. You know what a crutch Christian is? That's a Christian whose daily dependence upon joy is the relationship with their girlfriend or boyfriend, or their dependence upon a job. They're leaning on that job. They're depending on that job. That's their source. God says, I won't have anything else be your source but me. So he comes along and picks the job right out from under. Oh, God, now what am I going to do? I'm never going to make it. This going to fail completely. Oh, God. God says, now get up. Trust me, and we'll try it again. So you go and get another job. And they say, oh, good. Now I'm secure again. I've got a job. God says, let me run that by you one more time. He kicks that one out from under you. Oh, God, I'm just a failure. I can't even keep a job. And he's saying, look, don't set your confidence on the job. I've had fellows who were the most spiritual fellows in my churches in the past. I mean, they look like saints. They would say, amen, hallelujah, anything I can do, preacher. And then they'd lose their girlfriend. And I mean, you'd have to go along and scrape them up off the floor. Their confidence was in the wrong thing. I've seen fellows who have made their confidence be in a car. And God says, that's a crutch. Take the car away from them. I've had some guys who all their pride and all their confidence in that car and oh, it'd blow up on them. Something would fall off. Before long is parked in the yard. They can't drive. What's God trying to do to me? I say he's trying to show you that that shouldn't be a crutch. You trust in the Lord and put him absolutely first in your life and everything else will be where it ought to be when he wants to be. Crutch Christians. Paul says don't depend on things around you and if you don't learn that God has a good, slow school to where he can teach you. You see, there's one thing about God's school. He's not afraid of putting someone back in class a year. You know, nowadays, teachers and, and principals are so afraid of not passing someone for fear they might be thrown in court or something, you know. What do you mean my children failed? God's not afraid to put you back through the kindergarten again if he has to, over and over and over again. 
I've seen some Christians that look like a man with a peg, one peg leg in a knot hole. And you, you see them now and they're going like this. And you see them five years from now and they're still going like this. They never learn that one lesson. God says, you're going to drill yourself right into the ground if you don't learn before long. And they get discouraged. And they get discouraged. God says, maybe you're going to learn it this time now. They don't learn it. And they have to go all through it again. There are so many ways. People have uh, confidence in, in a savings account. Oh, I've got to hang on to that because that boy, if anything happens, I want to be sure we've got that, you know. And maybe some property or something. Just, boy, I, I just don't dare let go of that. And God says, hey, if that's your confidence, that's a crutch. And I'll kick it off from under you till I become your confidence. And so you'll get discouragement after discouragement after discouragement about whatever you set up before the Lord and say, now, that, that's my little security blanket. Discouragement will also cause you to come to the place where you will learn that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. You'll say, God, I just am so weak, I can't do it. And God will say, fine, now we're getting somewhere. Look at 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verses 9 and 10. I should first of all tell you that right above it is where Paul had talked about going up into the heavens and the third heaven and, and because the Lord didn't want him to get too proud over it. Well, verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, you hear that? Paul the Apostle said, the Lord knew after I had all these divine revelations that he gave me to where I was able to give all this, these messages to the different churches that there was a good chance that pride was going to enter in. So he just pulled my plug. And he just stuck a little thorn in my side to irritate and aggravate to keep me from being able to say, hey man, I, I mean, I'm so spiritual that I have such faith that nothing can ever touch me physically. Have you heard anybody go around lately saying, I never will ever have any disease touch this body of mine. Never! And then preach that Paul the Apostle was a man lacking in faith because he had that thorn in the flesh. Had he had the authority that he should have had, he would have said, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you and leave me. Let me tell you something. You let God lay something on you and you can rebuke all you want to. God says to Paul, I... I'm putting that thing on you. My grace is sufficient for you. You will learn through these experiences how to walk humbly before me and trust me completely. His strength is made perfect. When we feel the weakest, that's when we have to depend on him the most. The tendency is, though, when we feel weak to say, I won't even try anything because I just know I'm so weak. Instead of being able to say, I am weak, but he is strong. My weakness does not deprecate his strength in any way. How do we conquer discouragement? How do we conquer discouragement? Number one, remove all guilt by repentance and confession. Remove all guilt by repentance and confession. Look at me with that 1 Timothy 1, 19. 
Remove all guilt by repentance and confession. In holding faith and a good conscience, which some having... Well, let me go back to the 18th verse because there's a semicolon there and you can't get the whole meaning. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. He said it is essential as a believer to keep your conscience clear before God and man is what he's actually saying. And if there's an area in your life where you do not have a clear conscience toward God or man, there is only one way for cleansing, and that is through repentance and faith. If God's shown you've said something or done something wrong to someone else, it's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry. If you've done something to injure someone else, you must go to them and say, will you please forgive me? I have done this and this. Will you please forgive me? And then say, Father, will you forgive me? He said, bring the gift to the altar, leave it there, go get yourself right with your brother, then come back to the altar. Now we're talking about how to overcome and conquer completely discouragement because Satan will use our past failures to keep us from being able to remove guilt in dealing with discouragement. Let me say that again. Satan will use... Let me give you an example. Remember when David sinned against the Lord by lusting against, lusting with Bathsheba and causing her to become pregnant and then killing her husband? Well, it wasn't until the 50... First chapter, is it, of, of Psalm, fifth first Psalm, that he began to cry out and repent? Well, you'd think it was all gone and all taken care of there after he repented of it. But Satan came back and gave David a hard time when Absalom came in and drove David out of the, out of the uh, temple or out of the palace. He went up on the roof and committed adultery with his concubines, David's concubines. And when David came back as king, he had a very difficult time in disciplining or correcting Absalom because Satan was saying, how can you discipline him? Look what you did. See, how can you be so harsh on him? Look, look at your own heart. See what you did? Yeah, now you want to go out and be real critical of him. And so he says, now, be very, very kind with my son Absalom. But don't, don't hurt Absalom when he knew that the penalty for that was supposed to be death. Well, he had some generals that knew what God's word had to say. And when they got a hold of Absalom, they caught him hanging by his hair from a tree they uh, did very quick work of him. And afterwards, David just wept and wept and wept. Oh, Absalom, my son, Absalom. But it was because Satan had come against him with much discouragement and guilt. Even though he had confessed, because he didn't claim the promises of God and say, now just because I did wrong does not mean it's right for others to do wrong, and I must deal with the thing. Secondly, take up your shield of faith. How do you do that? You have to recognize Satan's lies, first of all. You recognize Satan's lies and verbally quote the truth of God's word. Verbally quote the truth of God's word. 2 Corinthians 12th chapter in the ninth verse. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore... Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Paul began to make a verbal confession. When he saw this thorn in his flesh, he began to make a verbal confession concerning the power of Christ in his life and verbally quote the word. Let me give you an example. How many times have I heard people say, well, God has just left me. 
God's just left me. I just can't feel God anymore. Just, he's just not there anymore. I just don't feel him. Of course, I tell him I don't feel married either. Does that mean I'm not? Does that mean I'm not if I don't feel married? Even if I take this ring off, put it in my pocket, does that mean I'm not married? Even if I tear up the marriage certificate, does that mean I'm not married? Doesn't, does it? So the first thing you have to deal with is it doesn't make any difference how I feel, and Satan will come along to discourage you by saying, well, God has completely left me. What's the verse that you'd have to quote back at Satan in that case? You know, you pull out your, your sword and you come right against him with it. That's right. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The word of God is in the, in the Greek is actually, I will not, I will not, I will not let you go. I will not, I will not let you down. So when Satan comes to you with a lie to discourage you and say that God's left you, you turn around and say, that's a lie, Satan, because thus it is written. You know, that's one of the greatest lessons I have had to learn by reading the story of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. I mean, he had his sword already. Satan said, if thou be the son of God, turn that stone into bread. Satan, it is written, and he pulled out his sword and <clears throat> gave him one. Well, if thou be the Son of God, get up there on the pinnacle of the temple and jump down because the Scripture says, Jesus, the Scripture says that you will not be able to dash your foot against the stone because he'll put his angel's hands under you to protect you. Now, Satan can come and quote Scriptures to you. He'll quote Scriptures in here that'll give you the idea that you're lost today and saved tomorrow. Lost and lost and lost and don't know where you stand. He'll do that. He'll quote those to you. But you have to come back like Jesus did. He says, it's also written, Satan, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. <clears throat> Gave him another one right back. Third time with Jesus, he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You just bow down and worship me. What did Jesus say? Uh, it is written. It is written. Learn that phrase. It is written. Thou shalt wor worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship, Satan. <clears throat> and Satan fled. Put the sword through Another way in which he'll discourage you by coming and telling you, no good will come of this. Boy, this time you're through. You're under. You're done. There's no way out this time. You just might as well give up. It's just going to destroy you completely. It is written. What? What are you going to do? For we know, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good. It isn't over. It's just beginning, Satan. For it is written. We know. You better know it. All things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. For there hath no temptation overtaken me, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer me to be tempted above that which I am able. And he will, with that temptation, make a way of escape so that I can bear it. And Satan, you get out of the way because I'm looking for that way out. God's told me it's mine. Now quit lying to me. How do we overcome? How do we conquer discouragement? Know the word of God. Get it down in our heart. Well, Brother Webb, if you only knew how many people have hurt me, I'm just so discouraged because every time I turn around, sister such and such or, or or brother such and such just hurt me over and over again. Now, brother, you have every right to be discouraged because when people do that to you, I know it gets discouraging, does it? It is written. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Therefore put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. That isn't that person, it's the devil using that person. Begin to bind the strong man over that person. Begin to bind those spirits around that person. And begin to ask God to let his love flow you through you to that person. And every time they come around, begin to pray and just minister love to that individual. Oh, but you have every right to get discouraged and old self-pity comes and tugs on you. Why? The way they talked to you the other day. Oh, it might be a spirit of criticism in that person. Begin to bind that rotten thing. Get victory over it. Don't let them get you. Then, of course, they come along and say, you're just too weak to win. You just never were a real winner anyway. I mean, you failed in different classes in school, and you didn't get that one girl that you wanted when you were younger, and, you know, that job you tried to get, you're just, you're just too weak. You just can't do it. Glory to God, Satan, I'm glad to hear that. I'm too weak because it is written that his strength is made perfect in weakness. That means God can use me if I'm that weak. And I'm going to just trust his strength to flow through me. Lord, I give myself to you as the weakest vessel that you've probably ever gotten. But if that's the case, according to your word, then you're going to be able to use me mightily. Now, you don't have to. You can grab your blanket and go over, stick your thumb in your mouth in the corner and just sit there and say, I just give up. And then you do exactly what the devil wants you to do. I know God hates me because he's just beating me all the time. He just It seems like he's always got me in the corner and putting knuckles right in my teeth. It just seems like every time I turn around, wham, I get hit again. I walk out in the street, boom, I get knocked down again. God just doesn't like me. I just know that God's got something against me. I don't understand it. Whenever Satan tells you that, say, glory to God, Satan. I'm so glad you told me that because the word of God says the Lord chastens what? Whom he loveth. If the Lord's working me over, then he must love me an awful lot and he must have something in store for me. And I just thank God that he's working me over because he must know there's a lot of rough edges that need to be rubbed down. You see, Brother Webb, that's just kind of, you know, that's awfully optimistic. No, it isn't. It's scriptural. Now, I tell you, you can do whatever you want to with your believer. You can just push that believer button any way you want to. You can either believe what the devil says, you can believe what God says. And if you begin to believe what God says, Satan's going to turn all his hosts against you to try to stop you and to show you how foolish it is to believe God. But the Word says if you trust in the Lord, He'll never let you come to shame. And He'll deliver you out of all your troubles. Now, which one are you going to believe? Some years ago, I used that illustration that Satan was supposed to be having a closing out sale going out of business sale just before he was going to get cast in the lake of fire and he had all of his instruments laid out and he had prices on the different ones and most of them were average prices but then when he came over to one particular tool it looked like he was absolutely worn out. There was a huge price above that particular tool and he asked why there was such an expensive price over such a worn out tool and he said, oh, don't underestimate that tool. That's Satan's favorite tool. He's used that from the beginning of time. That was the tool of discouragement. If he couldn't keep people away from Christ, the next best thing he could do would be to keep them so discouraged they wouldn't do anything for Christ. And so I think it's important for us to realize that it is the work of the enemy to keep God's people discouraged. And if he can keep them believing a lie, he can keep them discouraged. If they'll keep confessing the truth, the lie has to go because God's truth is eternal. I was listening today on the radio to uh, the young lady that has this radio broadcast in Denver. Marilyn Hickey, 
And she was talking about confessing a healing. She had an, a sore on her face that when she had put makeup and stuff on it and touched it, it would begin to bleed. And she and her husband prayed together. He prayed for her and he cursed that thing in the name of Jesus and commanded it to dry up and be gone. And she continued to confess that it was gone, that she'd been healed in the name of Jesus. And week after week after week, she started putting on some makeup and it'd still be bleeding. And she kept saying, that, I, I see the symptoms there, but those symptoms are a lie of Satan. And in the name of Jesus that has been cursed, it will go, it will dry up, it will be dead in the name of Jesus. And she went on and on. After a while, it wasn't such a uh, conscious thing in her mind every day. One day she noticed that she was putting it on that it wasn't bleeding, but it was just a little bit smaller. And a few days later, she again consciously noticed the thing, and it was smaller yet, and it wasn't bleeding. She said, within three weeks, that thing totally disappeared. But she says, from the first day that I started confessing it, it was five months before it was finally gone. But from the first day, I confessed it was gone, whether it looked like it was gone or not. But I believed that when my husband prayed in the will of God, that he heard my prayer and that that thing was defeated. I thought, glory to God. She didn't allow discouragement to come and say, well, I thought it was healed, but as far as I knew it was healed, but, oh, well, you know, all these problems and so forth. That really blessed me and challenged me. A lot of times, the devil will come around to the old lives and say, well, yeah, you think you're healed. You think things are working out for you. You just think they are. On the subject of discouragement last week, we talked about the cause of discouragement comes, first of all, from believing a lie from Satan. And the root cause of discouragement is putting down our shield of faith, Ephesians 6.16. When we begin to doubt, put down the shield of faith, doubt activates Satan like faith activates God. That's the root cause of all discouragement. Third, the benefit of discouragement is that it will, first of all, destroy our delight in temporal things. When Satan begins to come against you and everything you try to do just seems to fall away and you just doesn't prosper, before long you begin to just long for God to do something so much that these other things begin to fall away. Paul says he went through all these things and because of it, now he could do all things through Christ. And he counted all those things as dung. They were of no value whatsoever. The second thing is it destroys our confidence in human effort. In human effort. You begin to realize that the arm of flesh is going to fail you every time. That they that labor, labor in vain, except the Lord build the house. The man with a, in the Old Testament describes about the warrior on a horse is absolutely powerless unless God's blessing go with it. I, I think, for example, when the children of Israel were told to go in the promised land and they wouldn't do it, and then God said, all right, you'll go out in the wilderness and wander for 40 years, and they said, no, not that, we'll go into the land. God says, Moses, you tell them don't do it because I won't go with them. And he says, don't go into the land. God isn't going to go with you. They said, God told us we could have it. We're going to go. And they went without God's blessing. And they got whipped all the way back out into the wilderness. And when children of Israel were disobedient to God in Jericho because of Achan, all the forces of Israel going out against that little town couldn't do a thing. And they were driven back because of disobedience. When these things come against you, you begin to realize if God closes the door, you might as well send your saddle home. You're not going to open it. If God opens the door, don't worry about anyone else closing it because no man can close it if God opens it. And this wife said time and time again, I refuse to get stuffed on the toes of my shoes trying to kick doors open. I'm going to try to walk in obedience to God every day and if God wants the door open, he's going to open it for me. When he'll show me which direction to walk, I'll begin to walk in that direction and those doors will open if it's God. I don't have to beat them down. Third point, teach us, teaches us that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
Remember Paul the Apostle said he had been exalted above measure in order that he wouldn't be exalted above measure. God gave him a thorn in the flesh, an emissary of Satan, to buffet him. And he prayed three times that it would be removed, that it be removed. And finally God spoke and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul needed that thorn in the flesh. God gave him that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And I can't begin to tell you all the different theories there are about what that thorn in the flesh was. If you read Galatians, he said to the church of Galatia, you love me so much that you'd pluck out your own eyes and give them to me if it were possible, which gave evidence that Paul had trouble with his eyes. Uh, others say, oh no, that was a demon that was coming against him all that time. I have difficulty with that. Why would the apostle Paul have to put up with demons in himself or around himself if he didn't have to put up with them around other people? He could cast them out of other people. I have difficulty with that. It, makes, it shows that his strength, God's strength is made perfect in weakness and Anytime you begin to think that you can do something on your own, you don't need God's help to look out. God's going to teach you that you can't do anything in your own strength. The next thing was how to conquer discouragement. And I said the first thing is to remove all guilt through repentance and confession. Confessing that thing as sin and repenting of it. Psalm 51 is a good example if you want to learn how to really repent. Second, take up the shield of faith. By beginning to recognize Satan's lies and begin to verbally quote the truth. Now, let me just back up again and, and reiterate this fact. You can do this until you're blue in the face if you're not walking in obedience with the Lord. Now, you can do all this verbal. Now, see, this is where we get the cart before the horse all the time. A lot of people are being taught today, you just confess it, just confess it, just confess it. I don't care if you're living like hell frozen over, just confess it and it'll come through. That isn't what the word says. Scripture says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You see? And he says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful counsel. He shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God doesn't give any promises to backsliders. You know that? God doesn't give any promises to the carnal. God gives promises to those that are obedient to him and walk in obedience to him. Now, if you know that you've been disobedient and you confess it and repent of it, it's just as white as the driven snow when you quit doing what you ought not to be doing. It's as white as the driven snow. God forgets it, thrown the seed of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you again. And then this promise is true to you. Begin to verbally confess God's forgiveness. Begin to verbally confess God's cleansing and provision for you. The next thing, encourage yourself in the Lord. Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9, encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, let me say that new Christians, if you're going to encourage yourself in the Lord as new Christians, the best way to do it is to go back and read the Old Testament examples of how God has never failed his servant. But the longer you walk with the Lord, you don't have to go back as far. Someone said to me one time, how do you know that things are going to work out the way you say they are right now? I said, because I have walked with my God for 30 years and I know how he does, how he operates me. And I know my God doesn't do that kind of thing. If you want to encourage yourself in the Lord, just like David did. David said, oh, Lord, I remember back there when I was just a shepherd boy, and here I am king now. Back there when I was a shepherd boy, that old lion came, and when you allowed me to jump on his back and give him locked jaw and tear his jaws apart, you allowed me to attack that old bear and whip that bear. That old Goliath thought he was so big, and I carried his home and hid home on a, uh, along with his sword. Now, Lord, there hasn't been a time but what you took care of me completely. 
And I thank God that you're going to take care of me in this situation. I thought that was hopeless back there. The old devil's trying to tell me this is hopeless. Glory to God, there's a miracle on the way then. It's always true. Satan brings us the greatest discouragements just before God fulfills our expectations. Satan brings along the greatest discouragements just before God fulfills our expectations. Another way it's said is it's always the darkest just before the dawn. David, as you know, and Ziglag, his family, had been captured and taken off by a bunch of thieves. I mean, he and his men were driven out of the, their own country and they had to live in Ziglag. And they came while they were gone. Some others came and marauders came through and took away his family, wife and children and all their possessions. And then they went to fight with the, to fight alongside the Philistines and they said, we don't even want you around. We don't trust you, David. You go on to stay back in Ziklag. We don't need you. And as they were going back home, they saw the city had been robbed and the men turned on him and were ready to stone him. Not much more could have happened to David. The very darkest hour. And David turned and encouraged himself in the Lord in that darkest of dark hours. And he said, now, Lord, what do you want me to do? You've never failed. What do you want me to do? He says, go get him. He went and got him. He brought his families back. You know, if he had at that time renounced and said, God has failed me, that would have been it. But that was the final test in the very last hour. And three days later, the report came, Saul is dead. You're going to be king of Israel now, David. After all these years, you're king of Israel. Satan will send his hardest and greatest discouragements just before God fulfills our expectations. Praise the Lord. How about Joseph? When he thought he was going to go up... Up and up and up, you know, he got thrown back down into prison and had to stay there for several years, you know. I believe his vision died when he was down there. He thought about that baker and that food taster of the king. They've, they've forgotten me completely. They didn't even tell the king about me. They didn't have to tell the king about it. God reminded him later on when the time came that God wanted to bring him out of prison and put him up on the throne. That's why Galatians 6.9 says, Be not weary in well-doing. We shall reap if. We faint not. That's to be obedient now. Set up a place to be alone with God. Find a Bethel. Bethel means a meeting place of God or a house of God. Find your own Bethel. It might be sometime you have to drive a car out in some park somewhere and just stop and spend some time alone with the Lord. A lot of times, the best Bethel I get most of the time is you get up in the middle of the night. And go into the living room, and if it's kind of chilly in the living room, just throw a, a robe around me or something, an afghan around me. And if the floor is cold, I'll kneel on the couch. And just get quiet before God and talk to God. And sometimes I'm not even aware of it. Maybe two hours will go by or more. Just wanting to get quiet and get before the Lord, and it's important for us to do so. But if you're getting discouraged, then you need to get back before the Lord and begin to see yourself as God sees you. You know, the trouble is, when we get discouraged, a lot of times we think, oh, I've got to work hard. I've got to, uh, 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 got to get, you know, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, it's not going to work. And if you're walking where God wants you to walk, remember, the spiritual man lets it happen, the natural man tries to make it happen. And you can try as hard as you want to, but if you're not right where God wants you to be, it's all in vain. I'm not saying that we should be lazy. I'm saying that we should, first of all, get the divine direction. Make sure that there's nothing between, nothing short-circuiting our relationship with God. Get a word from God on the thing and then move full steam ahead. But as we're moving along, saying, Lord, now keep checking me now. Am I going in the right direction? Should I turn here? So find that time alone with God if you, if you want to overcome discouragement. 
We all need that time, that quiet time with the Lord. And if you don't spend that time, before long, I told you backsliding is hardly ever a blowout. It's usually just a slow leak. Before long, you just see the enemy beginning to just run over you, run you down, discourage you, push you right down in the ground. And it's not worth it. Find that place alone with God. The next thing in, in conquering discouragement is very, very important, and that is stay away from fearful people. Stay away from fearful people. Would you look with me in Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter? This is a truth, a scriptural truth, that every believer should begin to operate in. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Doubt activates Satan like faith activates God. Did you hear me? Doubt activates Satan like faith activates God. If you want God to act, you begin to operate in faith. If you want Satan to act, you begin to operate in doubt and unbelief and fear. God's Word tells me that when God was raising up an army, that one of the requirements that He gave was that the fearful, the unbelieving, the doubting, get out and go home. They didn't even want them in the army. Look at Deuteronomy 20 and verse 8. They were thinning out the ranks for battle. And the officers were speaking here. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. What man is there that is what? And fearful and faint-hearted, let him go and return to his unto his house lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Did you get that? When they raised up an army in Israel, they said, look, if you're scared, just plumb scared, go on home. We don't want you. That must have been a humiliating thing. But let me tell you something. That's why Israel had victory. It's hard to do that sometime in the church today. That's why when most churches get ready to take an advance for God and step out by faith for God or something, there will always be those that, oh, what if we don't pay the bill? Oh, what if it doesn't work out? Can you imagine what's going to happen if we, oh, I'm just scared to, I'm just scared to death what's going to happen. Don. You know, if we get out there and suddenly everything's cut off, you know, if we get out there and a recession hits or a depression hits or, or all these things, you know, oh, all of a sudden you feel the tremors go out through the body. Israel didn't want that. They said, all of you that are fearful, all of you that are faint-hearted, get out of the army and go on home. We don't even want you. Just those of you that, can, that have the strength of heart to believe that we can have the victory, you stay here. You want to know something? It's going to come to that in the church in the days ahead. Those that are faint-hearted and those that are fearful are not going to be able to stand and they're going to flee. Because it isn't going to get any easier. The Word of God says very clearly in the last days that wicked men are going to get worse and worse. Well, if wicked men are going to get worse and worse, then God's people are going to have to get gooder and gooder, aren't they? Huh? Better and better, stronger and stronger, more full of faith so that they can stand in that hour of wickedness. I know that there are a lot of churches right now where they're all kind of smooshed together, but it's going to clear out. It's going to change. There's going to come a pruning. You remember in Judges, the seventh chapter, when Gideon was getting his army together? Look at that. Judges, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me 
to give the Midianites into their hands. <laughs> Hear that? You got too many men with you, Gideon. If, I, if you have this many men, I'm not going to give the Midianites to you. Get rid of some of them. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now, let me tell you something. This is why many churches today are having trouble. Because they tend to say, See what we have done. And if God doesn't do it, they that labor, labor in vain. And that's why all the glory and all these things that the Lord allows us to do as a body of people, the glory has to go to the Lord, not to us. That's why I say time and time again, I thank the Lord for you. I thank the Lord for you. I don't thank you for it. You're going to get your reward if I don't thank you for it. If I thank you, you've already got your reward. When I thank the Lord, then he rewards you for it as he's promised he would. But I thank the Lord for God's people and their faithfulness, and I keep giving the Lord the glory for the work that's being done in this body because if he doesn't do it, anything that we do isn't going to be blessed and isn't going to be fruitful. With fruit that will remain, I mean. Verse 3, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is what? Fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. That's quite a proportion, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I say it again. I really feel that if I were Gideon, I probably would have soft-pedaled right then. There were several hundred thousand Midianites and only 32,000 Israelites, and he says, now tell them there's too many of them to go home. And I imagine Gideon got up and gave them a pep talk right off the bat. He probably got some of these fellows in motivation up to talk to them first. You're strong, you're, you know, all these positive mental attitude thing. Then he got up and says, now we know that there's none of you that are fearful because all of you are strong. Amen? And they say, oh, amen. All of you are strong-hearted. None of you faint-hearted. Amen? Amen. Good. Well, I just wanted to check that out because the Lord said if you're fearful or faint-hearted, you can go home. But I know nobody here is going to go, wait, what's going on? Wait, hold, hold on. And suddenly the whole crowd just dissipated. Do you feel the, the feeling that Gideon must have had? Heart fell way down. But let me tell you something, that wasn't enough. God went right on and said, now take them down to the brook and let them drink. And everyone that gets down and sticks their water, face right down in the water and drinks, instead of picking it up in their hand and watching while they're drinking, he sent them home because they're not watchful. So God not only can't use those that are fearful and faint-hearted, he can't use those that are careless. He wants us to watch all the time and be on guard. And if they weren't doing that, he said, you send them home. Man, I mean, Gideon probably thought they ought to send his saddle home too because just about all of them left then. Just a little crowd of them. God says, good, now we've got enough. We can go ahead and do it with these 300. 300 men against the multiplied thousands of Midianites. God says, well, now I think we can do something. I say it again. It isn't always God because there's a big crowd. It's those that are strong-hearted, those that are full of faith, and those that are watchful that God can use. Now, I say all that to say that God tells us to stay away from fearful people. People that are always talking death and fear and disaster and sickness and disease. You know, people come around and say, oh goodness, you know, my brother had what you've got and, 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 and he died of that. It was just terrible the way he died. <laughs> Thanks a lot, I needed that, you know. Uh -oh. oh, listen, I, I know that I know what kind of work you're in right now. Let me tell you, just look out because that type of work is not doesn't last very long, and that can get the bottom can fall out of that, and you can lose everything you've got. And you say thanks a lot, you know. You walk away. Uh, we don't need to listen to that kind of talk 
Because you know what you have to do every time you get that? You've got to go back and say, Whoa, Lord, what did you say? Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What do you have to do? You have to begin to build up that faith again. I've used it because it made such an impression on me when we were believing God to keep our property years ago. I called the 700 Club. 700 Club, and one of the counselors on there, I said, I want you just to agree with us in prayer. My wife and I have already agreed that God's given us this property. It's ours. I want you to just agree with us tonight. I just felt like I was supposed to call you. And she said, well, tell me about it. And I said, okay. I began to explain some of the things. She says, well, let me just tell you now, my husband and I just had a piece of property like that up in Deland, and we really believed God was going to give it to us. But he took it away from us, and we know now that it just wasn't, for, uh, wasn't of God for us to have it. Now, you just got to know that maybe God doesn't want you to have it. And I thought, what is going on here? And I said, wait a minute. My wife and I have already had the confirmation from the Lord that it's ours, but I was told that if I called here that I would find men and women of faith who would be able to agree with me. And I just wanted you to agree with me because if any two or three shall agree concerning anything on earth, it shall be done. And she went on and on and on, and that wasn't enough. When I finally hung up, I had to get back and go to prayer and read the Word again and get all of that doubt and all that unbelief, all that fear out of my heart. And the next day, what did she do? She calls Beverly back on the phone. And she says, I just want to tell you a little bit more about last night. And I came home, and here sat Beverly, tears running down her face. You know, I said, what is going on here? And I began to just bind that thing and get back to the Word, and she and I began to confess the Word again. That was seven years ago. We've still got the property. I really believe that we have to be careful who we get around. If you are around them, now I, I say this in all love, you get around some people and they don't know this truth. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We're snared with the words of our mouth, the word of God says. You have to be careful what you say. How many times we just let poison come out? Well, it looks like I'm going to catch the flu this fall. I'm going to get pneumonia. Boy, I know you know something. My family has had cancer. My family has had heart attacks. My family has had strokes all the way down there, and I'm going to get it too. I know of a man right now who will tell you outright, and he's been in a holiness church for years, that his grandfather and his father and his brothers have all died of heart attacks, and he's going to die of a heart attack. He's even surprised that he's lived as long as he has. He shouldn't be dead right now because the all rest of them died before he did. And so every time there's a little ache or a little pain here, he goes, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to die of a heart attack one of these days. Now, again, remember what I'm saying. Everything can be taken to an extreme. But you have to be careful. You go around spouting off unbelief and doubt and fear all the time. That opens the door for Satan to do the work that he wants to do in the life of a believer. Because the minute you declare something contrary to what God says, you open the door for Satan to go to work. Do you understand what I'm saying? If God says he's your provision, who are you and I to stand around and say, I'm going to go broke, I'm going to go bankrupt? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You walk in a right relationship with God, and I don't care how tight the place gets, the book of Psalms or Proverbs tells us that he'll always give your feet some room to maneuver. Now, if you get in a place where you can't even maneuver, then get down in your face and say, God, you're not a liar. There's something wrong here. Where am I out of order? What have I done that is sin? I want that sin dealt with. Show it to me, Father, and spend time before God and find out where that error, where that sin is. Deal with it. And then come back to the Word and say, Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I claim your promise. It's mine. 
Now, let me ask you something. If it isn't written to us, who is it written to? If it isn't written to God's people, we can throw this away, can't we? My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound under every good work. Does that sound like pessimism and failure and bankruptcy? That's His promise. Well, you say that was written for us. That was written to us. If I'm a saint, if I'm a believer, that's written to me. I really believe that God wants His people to prosper. Financially, physically, spiritually. In First or Third John, He says, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Now, if you and I hang around people that are always hanging creep all over us, and they I mean, you can describe to them. You can say, you know, such and such had such and such a disease. Oh, you know, I've had that. You know, I've had that feeling, you know. They're hypochondriacs. And there's always something coming up in their lives. And you walk into their home, and it's just like a pall falls all over you. Don't associate. Now, I don't mean, lead, you know, push them away. But I mean, when you come around them, begin to speak faith to them. Encourage them. Lift them. Don't let them pull you down. You lift them up. If they say something of doubt, say, that isn't what the Word... Let me show you what the Word says on that. Do you believe God's Word? Well, I, yeah. Does that apply to you? Well, yeah. Well, then why don't you start confessing that and get that garbage out of your mouth? I'll tell you. You and I have a believer, and it can believe anything we want it to believe. If we want to believe failure and defeat, we can believe that. If we want to believe success based upon God's Word and walking in obedience to God's Word, we can believe that. According to your faith. So shall it be unto you. By all natural rights, we should have been off of the property seven years ago. Eight years ago. By all natural means. Every year, God has just confirmed to us it's going to be taken care of. It's going to be taken care of. It's going to be taken care of. So we walk around, you know, in the natural, we walk around like idiots. Praise the Lord, it's taken care of. Somebody tries to nail us down. How is it taken care of? That's not my problem. God says it's taken care of. My God shall supply all my need according to the rich and glory of Christ Jesus. Well, it's impossible. That's great. <laughs> Praise God. If it was possible, then I'd try to do it. No, it's impossible. God has to do it. Now, don't tell me that it can't work because it's worked every year. I can only share with you what I've found to be true. It works. Now, there have been times when I've tried to work it out. And let me tell you, I've almost had a disaster. Time and time again, I told you before, the natural man makes things happen, the spiritual man lets things happen. You just confess the word and continue to walk. Confess the word and continue to walk. And you look like you're walking right into a wall. And you say, bless God, I'm going to bang my nose right on that wall if you don't move it, Lord. Because the word is true and I'm not going to believe the lies of Satan. That's a mountain, alright, then you can smash the mountain down and it'll all be a plain. Or you can raise the valley up and it'll all be a mountain, I don't care. But you said you're going to meet it. And he does it every year. I'm only telling you that because I want you to begin to begin to grasp. When you get around people that are fearful people, that are doubting people, and let them drag you down, what have you gotten? What have you won? It's one thing to look at a man who is stuck in a mud hole and throw him a cable and stay on the top of the hill and pull him out. It's another thing to back your vehicle down into his and hook up to it and the both of you sit there in the mud. But many times I see Christians doing that. I've seen people say, I'm believing God that 
that he's going to give me this job. I need this job for this supply. And I believe I'm qualified. I've been walking in obedience with the Lord. I'm believing God for this job. And I say, amen. I'm going to believe it with you. Praise the Lord. And they'll go to someone else and say, oh, listen, there's already been 15 people over there trying to get that job. And they're just not hiring. Well, I saw some of the resumes the other day. I mean, it had all these qualities way beyond what you've got. Well, I thought the Lord told me I could. Well, I guess I might as well. They walk away. I like what the theology teacher in school told me years ago when he was during the Depression. He was in school. And if you don't know what the Depression is, it isn't glass. The Depression is when no one had anything. I mean, you just couldn't get a job. They didn't even make jobs. And he got in line for a job, and he knew he needed a job, and the Lord told him he was going to give him a job, and he stood in line. He was third in the line. And the two guys in front of him were talking, and they turned around to him and they said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm here to get a job. They said, well, you might as well mark it off, because I just heard the guy say inside, there's just two jobs left, and those are for us. So what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to get a job. He says, you can't. There's only two jobs left. He said, well, then God will have to let one of you drop dead or be disqualified some way. He said, what do you mean? He said, the Lord told me to come here and get a job. They didn't say anything more to him, but you know one of them didn't get a job, but he did. Now, he could have turned around and said, well, walked away. Don't be around people, doubtful people or fearful people, if you want to get out of discouragement. Begin to confess God's promises to you. Now, let me say it again. Now, this is, this is where the imbalance comes in this message. You can't claim God's messages if you aren't fulfilling His requirements. You can't live like hell's frozen over and expect God's blessing and frosting to be all over you. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and pray and repent, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Now, don't try to claim any of it until you, you had that experience. Then will I hear from heaven. Their land. See, that's the provision. God has never changed. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants to bless His people, and sometimes we won't let Him. Read biographies of great saints. If you want to be encouraged and get rid of discouragement and find out that you're not the only soul that ever went through trials and tribulations, you begin to read biographies of great saints of old. I've read the story of uh, the life story of Billy Graham, of Billy Sunday, of... Uh, uh, D.L. Moody of uh, Spurgeon, all these men of God in the past. I still remember old, Bill, uh, I don't think I'll ever forget uh, the uh, Nazarene Bud Robinson. Uh, that, was, that was humorous, but at the same time, it made me realize that I don't need to worry about whether I'm qualified educationally to be able to serve God. Old Bud Robinson, Nazarene preacher, lived all the time. He could hardly talk. He had no ability to read or to write at all. He had no education. He got saved by running out of the revival tent and falling over the gate of the cow pasture, the barnyard, hanging there with his hands down on the ground and his feet almost to the ground, crying out to God for forgiveness and to get saved. And he got off that old gate. He started shouting, Hallelujah, glory to God, praise the Lord. And he jumped up and down, ran all the way home. He, he laid down under the stars that night, they said, by the hour and looked up at the heavens shouting and praising God. He didn't know the first thing about scriptures except that he had been saved, that Jesus had come into his heart. He couldn't read a word. He couldn't write a word. So he couldn't read the scriptures for himself. But in the next 90 days, over 90 people got saved because when they'd get around him, he'd be shouting and blessing and praising God so much they got under conviction. And he'd say, how, they'd say, how can I get saved? And he'd say, go hang over that gate over there and ask God to forgive you. That's all he knew. 
Now that made me realize, hey, God, if you can do that with that fella, you can do something with me, see? So if you want to get rid of discouragement, read about some of these saints of old that God has used. They've gone through the same valleys that you and I go through. They've made the same mistakes you and I go through. And God still uses them. He is looking for willingness, availability. And so if you think you can't do much for God, just read about some of these great saints of old. Next thing. This is just an additional thing to add in here to think about. Never make a major decision while you're discouraged. Absolutely refuse to make a major decision while you're discouraged. Set it aside and say, I'll figure that out later. Right now I'm dealing with this problem I've got and I'm going to get that thing settled and then I'll make a decision. How many times are marriages broken up when they make a major decision during the time they're discouraged? How many times do financial disasters hit families when they make a major decision during times of discouragement? Don't allow Satan. He'll try to make you make a major decision during a time of discouragement. Just refuse. Say, Lord, I'm just going to wait on you. And when you show me the direction to go at that time, when I know that I'm on a level on an even keel again, then I'll make a major decision. It's when we're in the fit of turmoil all around us that the devil wants us to make a decision and we'll make it many times based upon what we feel instead of what God's word says that we get into trouble. 